Hi everyone, my name is Sherry Tucker. I'm the owner and founder of Tucker Legal Services, a law firm that focuses on estate planning and elder law. I've been licensed to practice law since 1991. I'm licensed in both Arkansas and Missouri. I also have a master's in psychology and have worked uh, through the years with people who have disabilities. So my law firm's cause partner that we give back to and support is the Down Syndrome Association of Greater St. Louis. So I would like to focus on providing information about Down Syndrome Association of Greater St. Louis and the support it gives families. So the following podcast is an interview with the executive director. Good afternoon. I have a guest um, on my podcast today, and her name is Erin Solman. And Erin Solman is the executive director for the Down Syndrome Association of Greater St. Louis. Hi, Erin. How are you today? Hi, Sherry. I'm great. Thanks for having me today. Wonderful. Erin, how long have you been executive director? Um, I started as executive director in January of 2016, so it'll be almost five years. Um, But I've been with the Down Syndrome Association of Greater St. Louis since the 2012, eight years, actually tomorrow. So I started off as director of programs here at the association. And then in 2016, I was promoted to executive director, which was just such an honor and um, thrill for me. Ah, so we're having a happy anniversary. Yes. Wow, wonderful. Wonderful. It's eight years. So, uh, you know, some people out there may not understand the difference or or the relationship of the National Down Syndrome Association. And then when you're saying uh, Down Syndrome Association of Greater St. Louis, Just uh, quickly, why don't you tell us the relationship? Yeah, there is often some confusion about that. So we are not in a, we're not associated with the national organizations. Um, We participate in their membership program. So we're a member affiliate, but we are our own 501c3. We have our own branding, our own mission, and we are strictly serving the community of St. Louis, the greater St. Louis region. We serve about 150 mile radius of the city of St. Louis. So we serve folks down in Cape Girardeau, over in Columbia, Missouri, and into Southern Illinois as well. I don't know if your listeners know what Down syndrome is necessarily, but um, Down syndrome is when individuals are born with a third copy of the 21st chromosome. So most individuals have 46 chromosomes and individuals with Down syndrome have 47. Um, It's 99% of the time it's completely random that it happens and it happens to mothers and fathers of all ages. Um, There is an increased incidence um, with higher maternal age, but we have parents that come to us and they're in their 20s. So um, I think it's a misconception that only older parents can have a child with Down syndrome. It is truly random. So um, that extra copy of the 21st chromosome controls a lot of things and things that we are still learning about with research and which is why research is so important. Um, For instance, people with Down syndrome usually have a shorter stature. They have some physical features that you might recognize, um, almond-shaped eyes. They have shorter um, fingers and toes often. But the biggest thing is the delays in um, 
learning and oftentimes gross and fine motor skills. Now, Erin, you have a personal reason for uh, being involved in Down Syndrome Association of Greater St. Louis, don't you? I do. Um, yeah, so my inspiration is my brother. He is 34. He'll be 34 in March, and he has Down Syndrome. His name's Andrew. Um, and so, you know, I was three when he was born. And as you can imagine, being a sibling that young, you don't really know that there's anything different with your little brother or sister. Um, you fight like siblings and you um, love each other like siblings. But as I got older, I started to notice some differences um, just with his behaviors and his learning and other, um, the way that others treated him. And so I became very protective, of course, of him and his experiences. Um, and I also remember telling my mom that she wasn't doing a good enough job watching him <laughs> with his little mother uh, as well, which, you know, in retrospect, now having children of my own, uh, I recognize how rude that was. But, um, you know, he, he it was just the two of us. And so I, I've been always been just incredibly protective of him. And, um, but he's an amazing guy. And it really inspired me to work with this organization because I've known people with Down syndrome. And differently abled people my whole life. So it, it just is my life. And so I'm, again, I'm honored to be working for this organization. So you, uh, you watched over your brother, even though as siblings, you, you fought like siblings, you probably shared like siblings, you joked around. You said that at a, at a certain point, you realized that he had some difficulties. Do you, do you remember what age you might've been? Well, I remember, you know, as people with Down syndrome start to get into grade school, the learning challenges become more apparent um, and the delays. And so I think with my brother specifically, um, we were so lucky. He didn't have any heart diseases when he was born. 45% of babies born with Down syndrome have a congenital heart um, defect that needs to be fixed almost immediately. He didn't have any of that. He was, he's been really healthy his whole life. So for us, you know, the, the things that became, started to become apparent is, um, you know, his speech delays. And so children, typically developing children start to talk around one or two, um, for children with Down syndrome, it's a little bit later than that. And so there can be communication issues and frustrations around communications. So you see some behaviors arising because they can't communicate like other children, um, which is why, you know, we really promote sign language to those young kids with Down syndrome. It helps with communication and those frustrations. So you, so you started noticing some more of the differences around grade school. So you're about what you were three years older than your brother, 10 or 11, maybe starting to kind of notice some of those and certainly recognizing that he had to be in a special education classroom. And we didn't go to the same school at that time. They were still separating kids that had Down syndrome and other special needs. So, so when you were uh, growing up with your brother and you're noticing some differences, you know, sometimes people, uh, they, they have misconceptions and they're scared of family life. Tell us, uh, you know, a couple of your fondest memories of your brother when you were growing up. 
Oh my gosh. Um, well, I have some that are probably so funny and I, I shouldn't share, um, but he was always just beloved. I mean, everywhere we went, there was an attraction to him because of, he was so funny and silly um, and sweet, you know, maybe not always at home, but when we were out, you know, with other people, just so sweet. And, um, but there is a sweetness about my brother that was attractive to folks. And so I remember he would sneak away without us, without us knowing, and we'd find him down the street at the ice cream shop and he got free ice cream because he's just Andrew. And, um, so we'd look over and be into something and it was just funny because he's so goofy and sweet. Um, so I think he got away with a lot (laughs) that I would have ever gotten away with, um, because of his personality. You, you being a sibling and your family, we're seeing Andrew in, in one type of light, but what type of reactions have you noticed from other people who see a child with Down syndrome? Um, yeah, I think there's fear about what we don't know, right? And I think that that's in a lot of different circumstances in our society. Um, when we don't understand things, we instinctively become afraid, which I think is um, sad. And so, you know, part of what the Down Syndrome Association of Greater St. Louis is trying to do is break down the stereotypes, um, showcase the amazing lives of people with disabilities and Down syndrome, because the more we know about people with Down syndrome, um, the less unsure people have to be. And then we can welcome people with Down syndrome into community jobs and general education classrooms um, because what we always say is we're more alike than different. People with Down syndrome have the same hobbies, the same interests, the same jokes, the same needs, desires um, as everybody else. And it's just a matter of taking the time to get to know them and learning about them. Um, I think sometimes you know, speech intelligibility can be difficult, and that's because of the um, just the muscles in their face and mouth. It has they have a harder time um, having clear speech sometimes, and so that can be disarming to to folks that don't feel confident um, in talking to people with Down syndrome. But I promise you, just dive in and take a little bit of time and have some patience, and the conversations are um, really amazing. So would you say that uh, some of the challenges of having a a child, a family member with Down syndrome um, is more from outside people than in the family? Absolutely. I mean, I think that if you look at the way that our society is set up um, and what we celebrate as being a valuable life, Um, It's going to college, it's having a great job, it's, you know, being the valedictorian of your school or whatever. Um, But, you know, I think if we took some time to think about the everyday things that we can celebrate and the small impacts that people are having on a day-to-day basis, we would be able to um, look at and celebrate life differently. And so that's what we're trying to do is, is find the simple joys in life and celebrate those because people with Down syndrome, man, they're achieving a lot um, and we need to celebrate that. 
And I think if you look at the way that our society is set up, I mean, just for example, um, you know, Medicaid benefits, it's, it's a shame. People are forced to live in poverty to receive Medicaid benefits. And so we're, you know, we're forcing people not to have more than $2,000 in assets or they can't receive their Medicaid. I mean, that's ridiculous. So it's things like that that we need to change so people can have jobs um, Mm -hmm. and save money for themselves like everybody else. But that doesn't mean they shouldn't still get their Medicaid benefits. Um, So that's just an example of, I think, you know, the the broader society and and how we need to be rethinking um, how we support people with developmental disabilities. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna piggyback on on that a little bit because you know the, many uh, parents are struggling when their child reaches 18. Uh, you know, and um, McKinney, who's your uh, education coordinator, and you and I, we've talked about this, uh, uh, the guardianship issue and powers of attorney and uh, setting up those special needs trusts, and and I think uh, many parents are unaware that they can have an ABLE account and how to fund an ABLE account. Um, what, what does uh, SSI look like? You know, sometimes uh, parents think, they think of disability, putting their child on what's called SSDI, the disability income, when they don't qualify. You know, because you have to work so many credits and you have to have a, a long uh, work history and it's difficult. And then what does it take to be on that supplemental, social supplemental income? And um, how much, you know, it's really a, a question of how much autonomy do you want your adult to have? Uh, how are you going to provide that guidance? So a lot of questions there. and. You know, you're right about the poverty level. Um, so it's like it's two thousand for SSI, five thousand for Medicaid. Um, but then right. you have the parents trying to figure out how to help their adult because I think um, one of the things we've we've talked about too, and is that uh, children with Down syndrome are living longer, and uh, I don't know. What, what used to be the age, uh, the lifespan, uh, I'm not sure what it's up to now. What, what do, you, do you know what the average lifespan is? Yeah, people with Down syndrome are living now into their 60s and late 60s, early 70s um, in some cases, which in the 1980s, it, they were only living into their 20s. So it's really remarkable. So it's, it's possible now that the adults are outliving the parents. Absolutely. So that, that must be uh, a fear factor for parents now uh, looking at, well, what do I do? Uh, you know, how do I provide? And uh, if they don't do things correctly, then they can cost benefits or, you know, cause more problems um, than, than they're helping. So when you're thinking about the adult challenges uh, today, you know, keeping it you know, from your personal experience, you said your brother's going to be 34 years old? Yeah. So mm-hmm. what what is the greatest struggle for your brother today as an adult? Um, well, first, I want to say thank you. Thank you for correcting that. Yeah, it's $5,000 for Medicaid and $2,000 for SSI, those limits. Um, and I think that, you know, you really hit on it, which is that 
being a person with a disability in this country is so complex. Um, the system is so, the system is so challenging um, and it's challenging for families and it's challenging for individuals with disability and navigating benefits and paperwork and lawyers and trusts and I mean, luckily there's there's wonderful uh, attorneys such as yourself that are here to help, um, but it it could be a full-time job. And I think that it's the case for my brother. I mean, he is very capable of living independently with some supports, um, but you know, financially it's a struggle for my parents to have him doing that. And, you know, the cost of setting up everything that a family needs for a child with a disability is, um, the costs are high. And so I think that it becomes paralyzing for families um, to know where to start and to know how to navigate all of it. Um, and things are constantly changing. And if you get a job and you're making a little bit too much, then you have to, you know, scale back on something else. And, and so I think if I had one wish for our families, it could just be that the, the system could be simpler and that we could wrap our arms around these families that need our support and these individuals and just make sure they had what they needed and it, that it didn't have to be so complicated. You know, you're talking about a lot of the barriers that adults face and I know that there are times there are adults who can work uh, but you're also seeing I believe uh, adults with Down syndrome who also have a double diagnosis of autism correct is that yeah. something that's um, more recent in the research that you're finding yeah, I think as research with autism is increasing and has been increasing over the last several years, um, we have started to realize that people with Down syndrome are also experiencing um, autism as well. So we, I would say, you know, it's probably about 10% of our families have a child that has Down syndrome and autism, but I also feel like that number might be higher than what has been diagnosed. You have a whole segment of our population that may have it, but that because of their age were never diagnosed or because I think there's a lack of understanding around what, how autism presents in a person with Down syndrome. So um, I think that, that number could potentially be higher. So we, we have a, um, a segment or a community group for people that have um, families that have a child with Down syndrome and autism. We, we know that those families need additional supports and additional resources. So, you know, when we're talking about uh, barriers and looking at, you know, not only what the family needs and, and government benefits, but also what the individual needs. I have, I have been around your organization and seen your wonderful, wonderful uh, people who have jobs, whether you, know, you are helping them, your organization helps them, or they're going out. So here you have, you have an adult with Down syndrome who has like a music interest or you know, any numbers. And I, I've seen so many of, of your people talk about uh, getting jobs and employment. What do you think is a is a barrier 
to hiring a very capable adult with Down syndrome. Well, recognizing that 2020 is uh, a very unique year, we'll, we'll put this year aside. Um, I think, again, it's the lack of awareness and understanding of Down syndrome and what people with Down syndrome are capable of. I also think that it is um, sometimes a desire to find an open job and put a person with a disability in it, um, to say that they hired a person with a disability or to meet a quota or because they think that they're doing the right thing, but not enough care has been taken to ensure that it is going to be a good fit, that the person with Down syndrome is going to want that job, um, be interested in that job, and be capable of doing that job. So. We, I really think that just like any other person that is a job seeker, you have to think about what you enjoy. Um, and not all of us have the luxury of, of doing a job that they love. I understand that. I mean, I'm very fortunate to be doing a job that I love. So I, I get that. But, you know, you can't put someone with developmental disability in a job doing something they hate. It's just not it's not going to work. So, you know, we really try to find what the person is interested in doing and then somehow carve that into a real life job. So for instance, um, one of the gentlemen that we work with, he loves music and he, he really wanted to work with music somehow. So you think about what are all the different ways that I can work with music? And we developed a relationship with a small business, Mizingo Music, who um, took a chance you know, on Scott and said, yeah, let's see how it goes. And so they found a job for him at Missing Go Music and they fit it to his skills um, and they understand what he needs. And you know, it's a team effort. So um, I think that that is, that is the key to success is personalization. How, how important do you think um, it is to, a, to an adult you know, with any developmental disability, but, you know, we're focusing on your area, to feel uh, like a part of, of a community. I think that we all want to feel like we're part of a community and how sad it is that we don't welcome everyone into our community. Um, I think because everyone has gifts and talents and extraordinary things to share, um, so people with Down syndrome are no different in that regard. I mean, they, they are part of communities and they are part of their families and, you know, where they work, they're part of their employment community. And, and so it's, it's incredibly important to them, just like it is to the rest of us to feel welcome and have friends and feel like they're doing something important. So, you know, you had touched on earlier, Aaron, how in the school system, the, the children were segregated. They were in their, <clears throat> their own building or in their own hall or in their own classroom. And then we started being able to have the integration and class within a class. And then they get out of school. And it seems like the community was like, okay, you're, we educated you and now go back home and so what we're you know what we're seeing at least you know as we talk is this need to really help society as a whole 
understand that children with disabilities, they grow up, they're living longer. You can't just say stay at home. It seems like there's a lot of barriers that are having to be overcome as far as society views. So it's, it, you know, when you're talking, it sounds like it's, it's almost a business by business that you're having to go to and say, look, we have, we have a person with abilities who have a strong interest in this area. Give the person a chance. You know, it's not like a, a, an, an automatic open arm welcome. Is that what you're, you know, you're finding as you work now and, and see adults um, aging uh, and wanting to be a, a part and contribute? Is that what you're finding is, is the, these barriers are, a, it's like a step-by-step -step process? Yeah, absolutely. I think that I think that there are a few challenges to overcome. You know, with addition, in addition to you know, opening minds and hearts um, in the employment world, but you know, going back to what the family's needs and desires are, and the individual's needs and desires are, and um, you know, maybe transportation is an issue for the family or for the individual Down syndrome. Most individuals with Down syndrome don't drive. Um, so figuring out that piece of the puzzle too. So yeah, oftentimes it can be like a little bit of a piece of a, a little pieces of puzzle that you have to put together to figure out the perfect scenario. Um, and then there are some folks that maybe they don't want to work or or competitive employment in the community is not a great option for them. So it's finding out what other options would be good to help the person feel um, challenged every day and stimulated every day and active um, and like they're part of the community. So there are some other really great programs in the community with some of from some of our um, amazing partner agencies that that fill those gaps as well. So really what we want to do is meet the family where they're at, meet the individual with Down syndrome where they're at. And if it's, you know, if it's volunteering or if it is employment, um, or if it's continuing education, you know, whatever is going to fit their goals, that's what we want to help them achieve. So again, I mean, I think if people just start thinking about what does a person need, not necessarily a person with a disability, what does a person need, then it's the same thing for a person with Down syndrome. It, you might just uh, need a few extra supports in there. I like how you're emphasizing, you know, not that that you have a person with a, with a disability, but that it is still a person's life. So Erin, for this part, we're going to leave off and we will continue our interview with uh, the fact that you're going to talk a little bit more about Down Syndrome Association of Greater St. Louis and how you work with families and serve the community. So audience, I hope you will tune in to the second part of this interview with Erin and talking about the Down Syndrome Association of Greater St. Louis, brought to you by Tucker Legal Services. And please remember that the choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely on any advertisement or social media.